Henry posed a question, very simple question. Um, at first, it's vague, but I, I think there's 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 something to it. So he asked me this question: Why why Galilee? Why did uh, Jesus after before his death ask the disciples to meet him in Galilee? Why is Galilee important, specific? Um, and to be honest, I've read that passage so many times. You know, we've been doing communion every Sunday for years at this point. And I don't know why that, that, that verse never stuck out to me. And apparently it didn't stick out to the disciples either. So we're going to discuss that. And uh, so for the kids, I'm going to talk about fish. I'm going to talk about bread. And I'm going to talk about... Um, both the Lord being a good shepherd and what he has called us to do. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm going to jump into it. So Father God, I thank you um, for this message, Lord. I thank you for, for your word, for your leadership, that you are the good shepherd, Lord. And I just I pray for wisdom and discernment for me. Help, me. help me share this message with some level of articulation, Lord. And I pray that the young kids and, and all of us, Lord, would gain something from this, Lord. I know that you have spoke to me through this, Lord, and I... I just ask that it it would have meaning, Lord. I just I thank you that you are the bread of life, In Jesus' name. Amen. So I kind of gave it away. I was going to start with a question about my my starting question was going to be what what was Jesus' command after um, the first, the Last Supper when they went to the Mount of Olives. This is going to be Matthew. 26. I'm going to turn there real quick. We're going to break this passage, um, passage down a little bit, but I just want to start with what exactly I'm talking about. So Matthew 26, verse 30. I'll give you a second to turn there if you want to. And uh, this is immediately after Matthew's account of the breaking of the bread, the, the Lord's uh, the Passover with the disciples in the upper room. So in verse 30 it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, I think it's interesting that immediately following, Peter misses the last line about going to Galilee, and then he jumps straight into denying the fact that he's going to fall away. He's very arrogant, prideful, feels like he's going to stick around to the end, and he says this. He says, though I'll fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So I know we've all done this. We've said that we will follow through, and I, I've been working with our kids about this, that not to overcommit, don't promise to do something that will probably won't happen, that we need to be careful with our words, that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. Well, in this moment, Peter is committed, and in his heart, he's going to follow through. He's never going to deny Jesus and... Uh, 
is willing to lay, lay down his life for Jesus. And I, this is all going to come back, and this is kind of the heart of the story that the narrative that I want to discuss today is the story of Peter in a lot of this. Because in, in my reading, Galilee is, is an area that is very significant and important in the, to Jesus specifically. He, he grew up in Galilee. He was born in Nazareth, or in Bethlehem, down in Judah. Or, it is in Judah. And then, uh, you know, there's the story of Herod killing all the newborn babies. And so Jesus, Mary, and Joseph went and go to Egypt for a little while to get away, to run away from the bad guy. And then um, God calls them back, but they don't go back to Bethlehem. They go up to Nazareth. Now, some would say that Nazareth was uh, Mary's hometown and Joseph's, that even though they are part of the tribe of Judah, they're actually up in the northern section. Now, Elizabeth's got some slides for me, so if you can go to the next one. So I found these maps helpful in all of this. So the map on the left is, now because it's, Israel is controlled by the Roman Empire. This is how they broke it up. Each one of these areas, Galilee, Samaria, Judea, are all controlled by a governor. So we know that Judea is, is governed by Pilate, who we see when Jesus goes before Pilate. But Pilate, when he finds out Jesus is from Galilee, well, he sends him out the door to go see Herod, who was over Galilee. Um, so. so, kids, I want to explain something real quick. So, Galilee is, is two things. Just like Kenai kind of means multiple things. It's, it's a town. It's a city of Kenai. There's the Kenai River. There's the Kenai Lake. There's the Kenai Peninsula, which is a big area. It means multiple things depending on the context. So, Galilee is the same way. That, if you scroll to the next one, it's basically zoomed in a little bit. In the center, right next to, I know some of you guys can't read, but I'm just gonna, there's a lake. It's, it's the same picture. The one on the right is the map of Jesus' ministry, and there's, it's a little lake in there. Now, it's little in this picture, but it's actually quite a big lake. We scroll back to the first picture. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's roughly 13 miles long by eight miles wide. So for context, for, for us Alaskans, Testamina Lake is 20, 20 miles long by six miles wide. Not too different, very large. And I was talking with Elizabeth, we like going down to Homer. And if you're standing up on the hill overlooking the Homer spit, right before you drive down into Homer, and you look down to the spit, the beginning, where the, where the land is. Not, don't, don't count the spit, but if you look at the width of Ketchumac Bay from where the Homer spit starts over to Halibut Cove is eight miles. So that would be the equivalent of the width of the lake. So when, they, when Jesus talks about them, well, all the, all the uh, Gospels talk about them riding their boat back and forth across the sea, that was eight miles on a lot of these trips. Now, Kind of like Kachemak Bay, the lake sits with mountains on both sides. But it's not at sea level. It's like 700 
depending on the level of the, of the lake, 700 feet below sea level, which in some ways I imagine creates like a greenhouse effect, and it is gorgeous up and around Galilee. Very fertile soil, everything grows um, just about year-round. Um, I was reading some articles, and they were talking about um, they can go years without seeing frost, ever. They have Mount Hermon up on north of the Sea of Galilee, which gets snow. So they got the snowy peaks up there, and it, there's some water runoff that feeds part of the Jordan River. It comes into the Galilee. It's a gorgeous area. Um, and I can see why Jesus wanna, would want would to live here. An amazing place. So Jesus' hometown is in Nazareth, which if we go back to the technical drawings here, we have... Um, Nazareth would be on the south end of the area of Galilee. And, uh, but Jesus, as soon as he starts his ministry, moves to the city of Capernaum, which is on the north end of the lake, which I think was home of Peter. Um, anyway, so this is the Sea of Galilee. So everything I'm going to talk about is going to be in this area. And I, this is how I study. I want to know the geography to, to wrap my mind around the place, the people, the culture a little bit. So um, this is the place that Jesus is talking about when he says, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, most of his disciples are all from this area. Mary Magdalene is from a town on the west side, Magdala, most likely. It's not, we can't confirm that, but most likely. Um, Herod's palace is in Tiberias, which is named after one of the Caesars, I believe. And uh, at times, this lake gets called the Lake of Tiberias, depending on who you're talking to in which gospel. It's also at times called the Lake Gen uh, Gennesaret, if I'm saying that right, which mostly refers to an area of nor up north, the northern part of the lake. But I want to go back to this. So Jesus, so this is what I'm referring to. So this is just reference points for all this. So we're talking about a lake. We're talking about an area, and we're talking about a people group. Um, I want to read a passage in Isaiah real quick, Isaiah 9. God picked this area specifically for Jesus' ministry. So Isaiah 9, verse 1, says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now these are the two tribes that actually settled in that area of Galilee. So it's referring to that specific area. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them his light shone. And in the same prophecy, I'm going to skip down, and we're familiar with this passage, starting in verse 6. It says, For unto us, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. So one of my answers to the question of why Galilee is because the Lord ordained it in the beginning to be where the light of the ministry of Christ would be shown. One of my favorite verses is Matthew 5.16. It says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I, that, that so defines the ministry of, of Christ in that area. We were talking a little bit about what the culture would have been like in this area if it would have been a little bit like like the North Road in a sense. It wasn't the religious center, center because that would have been in Jerusalem. Tiberius on the south end of the lake. Well, Jerusalem would be kind of the center of the hub for the, the country, entire country. And up way up north in Galilee is kind of just kind of just out there. You know, you got a lot of farmers, fishermen. And even the way that Isaiah describes it is as those who are dwelling in darkness, which is interesting. I don't, and this is where Jesus decides to come. And it's not unintentional. Like Jesus didn't hang out a lot in Jerusalem because they tried to kill him there, often. Um, even in Nazareth, I, I thought it was interesting. Jesus, you know, goes down to, to see John the Baptist and he gets baptized and... John says one of the most profound revelations, I think, in all the New Testament is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, he says that Andrew, one of the first to follow Jesus, which is Peter's brother, decides to follow. And he's all excited. And they go up north after Jesus has this, the 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And... Jesus overcomes every temptation that Satan has. So after this, he goes to church on Sunday, to the synagogue, whenever they're meeting. I'm sure it's not Sunday, but um, he opens this, the, uh, the Bible. And I don't think it's Isaiah 9, the scroll. He opens the scroll. You would know the passage. There we go. He reads Isaiah 61. We'll read this passage real quick. It's such a good one. It's worth reading. The year of our Lord's favor. In verse 1, I'll just read this real quick. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the Lord in the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And I forget how much he reads, but he reads this and then almost immediately they kick him out of town because they know him. So Jesus doesn't come back very very, very often. So the, Jesus does most of his ministry in Capernaum and around the lake. And he does many, many wonderful things. 
And one of the first messages he does on the lake is going to be, I'm going to turn here real quick, Luke 5. He goes down and he starts preaching. I'm going to turn there real quick. And many of you know the story, it's when he calls Peter. Now some of the Gospels say, just say that he was walking by the sea and he sees them fishing and he says, come and follow me, and they drop everything. But Luke explains a little bit more that it wasn't quite that simple. So chapter 5 in Luke, I'm going to read 1 through 11. And on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So this is just the northern part of the Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them for they were washing their, their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the, from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he, had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So he obeyed, even though he had been fishing all night. And when they had done this, done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. So there's a little more to the story. Simon Peter had heard Jesus preach from his boat, so he sat there and listened while he cleaned his nets. Then Jesus told him to go fishing, and he goes fishing, and he catches more than he can handle, even though he tried all night walk and caught nothing. Now, kids will remember this. We're going to read the story again. I think Jesus is poetic at times. This is the first time that he calls Peter to follow him. So Peter had been out doing what he always does, fishing, trying to make a living, and he had, this night in particular, caught nothing. His efforts produced nothing, but when the Lord spoke, he received more, more than, definitely more than he expected, but more than he could even handle. And it's interesting that it, it convicts Simon Peter of his sinfulness and all that he's doing. And even though he tells Jesus to go away, basically, he's like, I can't, I can't handle it, you're too righteous, Jesus calls him anyway. And at that moment, they, they leave everything and follow Jesus. So we're going to come back to this. So I want to jump over to a passage in Matthew, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I think this, this is important in this story because 
Jesus is fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways when he fed the 5,000. But he was also speaking to his own disciples and, and in a way doing something that he was going to later call back to. So if we turn to Matthew 14, 13 through 21. So kids, we're going to treat it like story time and we're going to go through the feeding of the 5,000. So verse 13, Caleb, you know the story. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat. So just to preface this a little bit, Jesus had just gotten news that John the Baptist had died. He was very mournful and sad and his desire was to pull away um, you can see this picture behind me. From what I understand, the city here is going to be Tiberias. And the other side, and I, I'm probably going to pronounce this as Golan Heights, most likely. Um, Jesus would have been on that side of the lake, to my understanding, in this passage. He's kind of in a desolate, desolate place. He'd, he'd pulled away to, bo- to go pray and be alone a little bit because he had just lost somebody he cared deeply about, his cousin, his friend, John the Baptist. But instead, the people came from far and wide, all the way around, all around the lake, even from Tiberias. They came over in boats to find Jesus, to hear him speak. And Jesus had compassion on them. So he began to minister and heal them. And we'll pick up in verse 13 and says, Now when Jesus heard this, basically that John had passed away from there in a boat, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when, they, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves of fish and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men besides the women and children. So this may sound familiar. We basically did this this morning. We have bread that was been broken. Pastor Henry broke it, and we passed it around. And we ate it. What we're doing in communion is referencing, in a way, this feeding of the 5,000, which Jesus did to fulfill a prophecy way back in, in Exodus. And I didn't look this prophecy up, but the, the Pharisees were looking for someone to come and fulfill the prophecy of a that a man that was going to be like a second Moses. And one of the things that Moses did is there was the miracle of the manna 
that fell from heaven, that fed Israel and sustained them when they were in the desert. And they were told that this was basically going to happen again. So when Jesus did this, it was very much to fulfill this prophecy. So much so that the Pharisees took notice of this and they came to Jesus and they kept asking him, okay, okay, we noticed you did something that, that hints back to this. And so they came up and they were asking him for a sign. Even though, what's that? He, they were asking him for a sign, basically, confirm with us that you're that prophet that was talked about in the Old Testament. And I, didn't, I wasn't planning on diving into that section of Scripture, so I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But basically, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I have come basically fulfilling that prophecy in a way. So I'm going to turn to Matthew, John 11, real quick. Apologize, that wasn't the one I was thinking, but um, that one is uh, Jesus saying that he is the good shepherd. But Jesus made a, in that moment with the Pharisees, made a, a very distinct point. They kept saying that they have Moses who gave them manna in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life sent from heaven. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will see this. And him doing that, having that conversation with the Pharisees, talking with the disciples about it as well, and teaching on that, and I know I have that in my notes somewhere. I'm going to come back to that. There we go, John 6. We'll turn there real quick because it's worth reading. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 25. So after, after the feeding of the 5,000, people went away, and Jesus went across the lake, and everybody kept, came looking for him again, and he says this, when, you found, when they found him on the other side of the sea, verse 25, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you were here seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must he do, what, what, what must we do to do the things, to do, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? And our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God 
is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall hunger no more, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So this was what happened. What happened. Now the disciples are all there experiencing this, seeing this, and they've connected the dots that Jesus fed the 5,000 with bread as a demonstration of himself being broken so that he would demonstrate and show that he is the way, the truth, and the life sent from the Father, sent from heaven. Now, why is this important to the story that we're telling currently? We're talking about Peter, who's a fisherman. He was called because he was fishing one day and somebody wanted to sit in his boat, share a message. And that guy asked him to fish and he decided to obey and listen even though he had caught nothing. And when he did, he caught more than he could handle. So he decided to listen and follow this guy. And now this guy is saying that he is the bread of life. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And Peter, later when asked by Jesus, he says, Peter, who do you, well, he's asking all of them, but who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, or in Christ, and Peter answers correctly, I am, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to that Jesus responds, you have answered correctly, and on this, I will, on this rock I will build my church. Now, depending on if you're, what denomination you are, you could think that's literally Peter, or it's the message that Jesus was preaching, which is that he is the bread of life sent from heaven. So I want to continue on with Peter's story a little bit. So we're going to go back to this Matthew 26 a little bit. We talked about they had the Lord's Supper. They went up to the Mount, Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, you will all fall away from me because of the prophecy that says, the sh- um, shepherd, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. So what happens after Jesus dies? Do all the disciples run away? What's that? Jesus was put in a tomb? What did the disciples do? Well, Peter and John went to check, but only after the ladies went to anoint Jesus. Basically what happens is they locked themselves in a house. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. And they had kind of forgot that Jesus had said, go to Galilee. So they had locked themselves in a house and they were scared. And the women who were brave took some oil. Of course, course, you're welcome. Um, Went to anoint Jesus on Monday. Three days after Jesus had been in the tomb. And what happens? He's gone. And 
this is the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a scripture, and I think this is the origin of, of superhero entrances. Oh, where did I put it? Matthew 28. I love these little details that just get thrown in there, and like if I stop and think about them, I just, it's amazing. So Matthew 28 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Bam. Came down like a meteor, struck the earth, rolled away the stone, and he sat on it. For, yeah. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow, and for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It's pretty intimidating. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. And he is not here, for he has risen. And, he, and as he said, um, let's see. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen. Risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. So this is the second time they've been told. You're supposed to go to Galilee. Jesus is going to meet you there. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. It was a bit unexpected. Supposed to meet him in Galilee, but he showed up anyway. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There you will see me. So, all right, this is the third time Jesus is trying to send a message here. Galilee is important. You should go there. And we learn after this. I'm going to summarize a little bit. So Jesus tells the disciples to do this. And later, he shows up to where the disciples are. And guess where they're at? Any guess where the disciples are, are at? No. <laughs> they're not. They're still in a house with the door locked. But Jesus showed up anyway. And... He showed them that he was real, that he had nails in his hands and a hole in his side where they stuck a sword in his side, and he says, I'm real, and I have a plan. He prayed for them, he breathed on them that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and he left. And a, a little while later, I'm going to give you another guess, another try here, eight days later, where are the disciples? No. They're still in a house with the door locked in Jerusalem. This time Thomas is there, doubting Thomas. The kids, when the Lord speaks, we should obey. I'm just going to say, when the Lord speaks, there's a reason, there's a purpose. So the Lord shows up the second time, and this time... I feel like it was just for Timothy. No, Thomas. Thomas, 
was doubting. He said that unless I stick my fingers in the holes in his hands and stick my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe that he is risen, basically is what he's saying. So Jesus shows up and lets Thomas do just that. And he tells him once again, go to Galilee. I will meet you there. So this time they listen. They all go down. And I'm going to try not to read a little too much in this, but they get, they get down to Galilee, and what do they do? Peter, being from the Galilee, when he sees water, I think like a lot of us, wants to go fishing. Bad. So even though it's evening, it's late at night, he talks six other guys into getting in a boat and going fishing. Now, I was reading some commentaries, and they tried to fill in some reason as to why, and one of the things was that these guys are still grieving with, even though Jesus has appeared to them with so much uncertainty about their future and what they are to do, even, even though Jesus came and spoke to them, go to Galilee. They were still afraid, didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. And you got to remember that while they were ministering with Jesus, Jesus was basically paying their bills. They had women that were funding their ministry and providing for them. And it's assumed, but all that goes away. Everybody's been scattered and kind of doing their own thing. They're locked in a, a house in Jerusalem, They're afraid for their lives, that they're going to be killed. And now Jesus is telling them to go to Galilee. And I can imagine for, for Peter, he's like, well, I'll, at least I'll go fishing and try to make a little money and hopefully buy some food, and you know what happens when he goes fishing? You remember what happened last time he went fishing? He didn't catch anything. And I think it's interesting, Jesus comes up walking on the beach, and they don't recognize him. They're close enough that they can see him, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus asks them if they have anything for breakfast. He asks them, do you have anything to eat? Do you have any fish? Yep, you're out fishing. And there's an emphatic no. They were probably a little grumpy. They'd been fishing all night and didn't catch a single thing. And part of me wants to believe that Jesus is asking this not as much of a literal. It's, it is literal. But it's more, there's a deeper meaning to him asking, do you have any, have any fish? Do you have anything to eat? It's like, do you have any food to give? Jesus himself in his ministry always had something to give. Even when he had lost his friend and he was out in a desolate place and all they had was you know, a few loaves and a few fish, he found a way to feed 5,000 people because he is the bread of life. And in this moment, I, the di disciples have kind of walked away from that a little bit. They're kind of back to doing their own thing, trying to make, provide for themselves. And Jesus is asking them, has, has that produced anything? Have you, have you caught anything? And, of course, it's a no. So Jesus goes about his business. I don't think they realize that he's over there cooking fish and a loaf of bread. 
And if you're close enough to have a conversation, they've got to smell something. I'm just, I'm just saying. The barbecue, charcoal fire, it's going. And Jesus calls out later. He says, throw, throw the net on the other side. Now, this is the second time. This is like deja vu. When Jesus called Peter to be, at the first time, same thing happened. He didn't catch any fish. He fished all night. Now this time, he's saying cast the net on the right side of the boat. So they do, and they catch a lot of fish. A lot of fish. Do you know how many fish they caught? 153. Because who doesn't like to keep track of the high score, right? This was the high score. They caught 100, and their nets didn't break. And I love how they put in this little comment that John went down, or uh, Peter went down there by himself and drug it out of the water onto the beach, all by himself. And at this point, nobody has to ask who this man is. It's Jesus. And they walk over, and what does Jesus have? He has a fish that's been cooked and a loaf of bread. Does this ring any bells to anybody? Has this happened before? He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He broke bread with them. He's preached about being the bread of life. And now here he is with his disciples again. And he has this conversation with uh, Peter. And I I just... I want to hit it... A little bit. Many of you know this, but I just, I hope that I'm tying in a little bit of the context of this story. It's John 21. Now remember, Peter is the one that was so zealous that he couldn't, that he didn't like Jesus saying that he was going to fall away. He was going to stay with Jesus till the very end. He was going to lay down his life for Jesus. He was committed. But yet, and I know I kind of skipped this part, but do you guys remember what happened when Jesus got arrested? Jesus got arrested, and he goes to Pilate's house. No, he goes to uh, Caiaphas's house. He goes to the, the church leaders, and the church leaders were going to turn him over to Herod and Pilate, and he was going to be crucified. But at this moment, they're at Caiaphas's house, and Peter kind of follows along, and he's out in the courtyard by the fire warming himself. And Jesus told him he was going to deny Jesus. So he does. This little this lady comes over and he's like, I recognize you. You're from you follow this 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 you follow you're with Jesus of Nazareth. And then the guard leans over and says, Yeah, for your accent betrays you. Because Galilee is way up north, it's so far from Jerusalem that the people sound different. They talk different. They got an accent. You guys recognize anytime somebody comes up from the south, from New York? Or from Michigan? <laughs> they sound different. Or what about from England? You don't recognize it? What? 
They sound funny. I, I'm, I'm terrible at accents, so I'm not going to do accents. But they betray, his accent betrays him, and, Jesus, and Peter denies it. He's like, I am not with that man. He does it three times, and then the rooster crows. And then, is it the passion of Christ? Jesus looks over and looks at him. There's eye contact. We don't know if that happened, but Jesus was close enough that he could have done that. Um, Peter got caught. He had betrayed Jesus three times. So we're now going to read the conversation that happens between Jesus and Peter. The first real conversation. I don't know what happened when Jesus met him in Jerusalem, but this is the recorded message between Jesus and Peter afterwards. So we're going to pick up in John 21. Verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, Peter had just denied Jesus. And Jesus is not asking Peter if he kind of loves Jesus. He's asking Peter, do you really love me? Are you committed to me? And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I kind of love you. I love you as a friend. Because he has some things inside he's dealing with. He's like, I've denied this guy. And I don't know where, where I stand. And a little time goes by. No, and, and then Jesus turns to Peter and says, feed, feed my lambs. So Jesus is asking Peter to feed his lambs. What's, what he's talking about is the church. He's talking about his, the people that follow Jesus. He's like, feed these people. Now, just a minute ago, Peter didn't have anything to give. He didn't have anything to feed when Jesus asked. But Jesus is asking him to feed his lamps. Jesus asks the second time the same way. He asks the same thing. Do you really love me, Peter? Peter's like, yes, Lord, I, I kind of love you. He's like, feed my sheep. He's saying the same thing. He's like, take care of my lambs and my sheep. Don't forget the, the bigger ones. You know, tend to them. And it's not just feed them, it's to take care of them. It's to shepherd them, it's to nurture them. And then he asks a third time. Now, what else happened a third time? Peter denied Jesus three times. So Jesus is going to ask him three times. It really kind of sends the point home. And Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this time, Jesus doesn't say, do you really love me? He says, do you love me a little bit? Do you love me as a friend? And this time, Peter's response is, well, Peter was grieved. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He acknowledges that Jesus knows exactly where Peter's at, that his love is weak, and that he has a little bit. You know, he has a little bit of love. And, you know, I shared a message before, and I just it feel still, it still lives in my memory that we, we, anything that we have, we have has been given from the Lord. Everything we were made by him, the love that we have has been given because he first loved us. And that Peter, when he says that he has, 
he, he has a little bit of love for the Father, it's still what has been given from Jesus to Peter. And if we remember the story where Jesus fed 5,000, what did he do? He took a little bit of bread, he broke it, and they gave it to the disciples to pass out. And when they passed it, it out, it went really, really far. Like, really, really far. It fed everybody. They were full, and they had enough left over. This is what happens when Jesus, when, when God blesses something, when he is behind it, And again, Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And after, the, after this, he said, follow me. So what Jesus does in that moment is he is acknowledging that, yes, the Lord's leadership will lead Peter to, the, to a point where we, he will give his life for Jesus. But in the moment, he is asking Peter to feed his sheep, to take care of, to do what Jesus is asking him to do, to be obedient, to follow, follow him. And I love there's a story in Acts where after this, Peter and John go into the temple of Jerusalem and they stop and they see a guy sitting outside one of the gates who's begging. And the guy asks for money. And this time, Peter doesn't have any money. He's broke. But in this moment, Peter doesn't say that he doesn't have anything. This time he says, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I will give you. Be healed. And the guy got up and walked in with him. He had something this time because he had been given something by the Lord. And to circle back to the question, why Galilee? I do think Galilee was, so much of it was crafted by the Lord that it was a fertile land. Jesus said in, Gal in, in this area, in this region, that the... That the uh, Harvest is plentiful, but the servants, but the laborers are few. And now I've lost my train of thought. Awesome. But that we are to be servants to the Lord. And that in and around Galilee, I think Galilee was still a very, very important place. It was a land that had been prophesied was a land of darkness, but that had been shown a great light in Jesus when he came. And when Jesus came, he came as the bread of life, fulfilling prophecy, declaring himself the bread of life. That we, every time we break bread, we do it in remembrance of him. That we are given something, and we are meant to give it. We are meant to be, to have something to give because we have been given something. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter. He's like, you have been given something, now go give it. And that, to me, is really the story of Peter and why this moment here in Galilee on the sea as, Jesus, as, as Peter is fishing is so incredibly important. And for my own story, I can relate to this a little bit. But for Jesus going all the way 
to Galilee, to have this experience in this moment with Peter, which is one man, was probably worth it. The whole, creating the whole storyline just for Peter so Peter can have this moment, so that we could have this moment to look at. And I, I find this incredibly interesting. Did you know the distance between the north gate of Jerusalem and Capernaum, which is Peter's hometown, is 99 miles, which is coincidentally the exact distance it is from this church to Land's Inn and Homer, to give you an idea. Same distance. And they walked it, it often. So it wasn't an easy trek. So to give the disciples credit, they prepared themselves two weeks for the long journey it was to Galilee. But anyway, what I'm getting at is, like it resonates with me, probably wasn't intentional, but Jesus was willing to leave the 99 to go after the one Peter. Like it was, it meant enough to go, to not leave the one sheep that was a little lost, a little uncertain, he went all the way to, to speak to Peter in a way that would speak to Peter on the shore when he's in a fishing boat, back doing what he was when he first called him. It's, it is very poetic that he would do this whole storyline just to speak to Peter. And for all of us, for me, the takeaway point in so much of this is that, that God's leadership as the perfect shepherd and the story that he creates in our own lives, we don't get it sometimes. Sometimes he says Galilee and we're like, what's, why? But, there's, but it's so important that we obey and follow and that we recognize that the little that we have been given, even if we are given the task of feeding 5,000 people, we're still supposed to give what we have. So... Amen and amen. That's the message I have today. I was supposed to give this out at intermission in the middle, but I forgot. I have bread and fish for the kids. Who's, who's going to be my disciple and hand, hand this out? Caleb, you want to hand these out? Donnie will. Amen and amen. Well, Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your perfect leadership, that you are the good shepherd, that you have, even in your prayer, Lord, you gave us the gift of a prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread, Lord. I I pray that we would grasp what we have been given, Lord, that we would seek you and find you, Lord. And I just, I pray just for a faith to believe and walk out what you've called us to do, each and every one of us, Lord. No matter how big, no, how, no matter how small, Lord, that we would be faithful with what we've been given, Lord. I pray today that you would stir our faith and build our faith continually as we walk with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.